This is a show about facing fear, unlocking courage, and taking action. Courage isn't necessarily a daunting thing. It's going to give you more purpose. It's going to give you more drive. It feels like making a courageous decision is going to get you closer to who you aspire to be. It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. The agency came back with an ad that started out with football is gay. It was all about football is for everyone. And I knew that it would be controversial, but I also knew it would be so meaningful. It would also send such a clear signal that the NFL really stood for inclusion and, and equality for this community. Round and round the shield goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. We've seen the shield now in London, in Mexico City, in Germany, and, and we feel the, the shield doing work, not just in 70,000 fan-induced arenas, but in the community arena, in the cause arena. And, and we experience a shield not just on a fall Sunday, but now on a Thursday or on Amazon or in the heavy thick of April. And, you know, with this year-round success, you might as well rebrand the NFL is the National Flourish League. Uh, at the, and at the center of of all the stories being told is my guest today, the Chief Marketing Officer of the NFL, who I had to go to Canada, by the way, to meet and have dinner with, ironically, Tim Ellis. What's up, Tim? Good to see you, man. Hey, nice to see you again. A little warmer weather since Canada. I know. That was, uh, that was oh my gosh, was that place beautiful or what? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. No, I'd never been there before. It was amazing. Yeah, it was my first time, too. Uh, shout out to the guys at the gathering. Tim and I both had a chance to speak up there. And you're sort of trapped in the mountains. It's a nice strategy. You, you got yeah, like... a good place to be trapped. It is a good strategy. <laughs> so, look, you know, I read the statistic that 50% of America, back here in America, right, lives 50 miles from where they were born. I mean, the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. But when I look at your career and you put it on timeout and pause and check it out, like you've gone where the job has taken you, like Santa Monica for area for Activision, Volkswagen took you to Sweden, I think Northern Virginia as well. And then, you know, you're back here in New York with the NFL. Like, do you think you've just always been up for the adventure? Yeah, and it didn't. believe it or not, it actually started before I um, began my formal marketing career. I, in my early 20s, I set out to go to school for a short time in Paris, and I had such a great time, and I was so curious about the rest of the world that I decided not to go home, and, uh, <laughs> and I bought a one-way ticket to uh, Israel, which I knew nothing about, and joined a kibbutz, which again, I knew nothing about. And um, had an incredible time. And I met a lot of people who, you know, had traveled the world for many years. And so I had decided at that point that I was just going to sort of work my way around the world for the next five years. And then I would still be a relatively young man when I got back. And I figured like, hey, this is exactly what I want to do. And that's what I did. So I, I, you know, I worked in Norway on an oil rig and I worked in Japan as an actor and teaching English. And I worked on a cruise ship for a long time. I drove tractors in Israel. I mean, it was a really fascinating period of my life. So I had a lot of international experience uh, and living abroad before I ever started any kind of, you know, sort of formal marketing job. So when I, when I joined 
uh, Goodby Silverstein and Partners, which at that time, they were really in their heyday uh, during the Got Milk days and so forth. I mean, everything they did was just uh, being recognized and celebrated around the world. I decided that I was going to go to Sweden. You mentioned Sweden, right? So I decided I was going to go to Sweden and start up in a in a, a firm there. It was part of an international agency, uh, Lintas, which later actually then got bought by Publicis. And I spent the next 12 years of my career in Sweden. And some of that was in, you know, was in uh, the agency world. And then I went over to the client side for the first time. It was actually Volvo that that I worked for over there. But I, it was, you know, you talk about courage. It was a big move to go from by far the most, you know, recognized, celebrated, creatively celebrated agency in the world. It could be. And then decide to leave all that, leave leave the U.S. and, and go to Sweden to work for this small agency. Well, but I'll, you know. I think it worked out. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I wish, you know, the amount of times that I've, you know, because I come from agency world, that's that's my background, too. And the amount of times I wish I would have had, and this is not to hate on partners I've had in the past, but like how much empathy do you have for your agency partners? Because you kind of really know what it's like behind the curtain over there. You do. And you know, you know what it's like in order to sort of motivate them and, and ensure that like all the internal dynamics over there are in the right place that you, you know, that you really truly trust each other and that you're a partner because you know, the biggest mistakes that, particularly if you're a former agency person, the biggest mistakes that a lot of clients make is that they're like, okay, well, now I'm in charge. I'm going to tell you what to do, <laughs> right? And I'm going to, I'm going to direct everything here. And I think, you know, I, I always approach my relationships with agencies like, no, we're partners here truly. And my success is your success. And I know how, I know the internal dynamics of an agency and I respect that. And I do my best to try to, you know, provide them with as much sort of support and input, which motivates people and ensures that their people want to be in our business. Right. Like I sure working for the NFL uh, and before that working, you know, on brands like Call of Duty at Activision, there are a lot of particularly younger, you know, creative people, they want to work on your account, but you want you want them to feel like they're going to do their best work of their career with you as their client. And you're going to help them do that, which is going to be mutually beneficial for the, for the partnership. I mean, we're, we're going to talk a lot about your, your current role um, today, but before we do that, where'd you grow up? Like, where'd you grow up? Any siblings? Are you close with the fam? I grew up in Northern California, Stockton, California. And which, you know, at that time was really a small town, at least by by California. It was like about 100,000 people. I had a couple brothers. So very uh, short mom who was a firecracker from uh, Arkansas, who sort of was like, you know, really, really strong. She had three big boys. And uh, I, I grew up there playing sports. My dad worked as a principal in a school form before that, a teacher. And he was actually a Golden Gloves champion boxer in three different states. So I, you know, again, my two brothers and I, we grew up in the gym and teach us how to box. And uh, this is good to know. This is yeah, good to know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, we spent, uh, we spent our youth sort of, you know, playing sports and we played Friday Night Lights, right? We played football on Fridays, all three of us. 
but then toward the end of my high school there, my junior, senior year, I walked into the theater, the stage theater, and, you know, tried out for a, a play where I could use a sword, you know, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and it was very athletic. And, you know, I thought it was cool. So I ended up loving it and decided not to go to a traditional university and go to an acting conservatory. And so I spent those two years there, which was really then when I told you earlier that I went over to Paris after that, I just, you know, I was interested in exploring and, and discovering things and not necessarily just jumping into a more traditional work environment uh, straight on. Yeah. So I, I imagine that the, I mean, look, our business is, there is theater. Like anytime there's a subjective, sure. you know, especially in the idea space, it's like there is theater involved. And yeah. it, it's funny. I always say my dad is a lawyer. My mom was a teacher and my style of presentation is smack down the middle. Like I've got the, the, the empathy and the thoughtfulness of my mother, the third grade teacher. And, but I have the, yeah. the reality of like every day you're presenting an idea is like a lawyer presenting it to a jury. And it's, you got to right. make sure the first piece of information is set before you move on to the next and then the next and the next. So I do think there's theater in, in the way I was sort of brought into the world of the three siblings, just the three of you, three brothers. Yeah. Where are you in the order? I'm middle. Oh, the middle. I'm in the middle. And both of them, you know, they they pretty much stayed where they grew up. So my well, my younger brother is 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 still in, in Stockton, although he's about to move to the Napa area, Yountville, but because he's in the wine industry. But uh, my older brother went went from high school to college in Texas and never left. Mm. So, you know, they, for whatever reasons, they didn't really have the same itch that I did. And neither did my, well, my father, you know, I told you he was a, he was a boxer, but he, his family, his, his dad worked uh, around the world in the military. So he had to travel around the world. So when he came back to California and started his own family, he didn't want to go anywhere. Right? <laughs> he done. wanted to stay. And he did. And he stayed in that Stockton when he was a young man, stayed in Stockton his whole life. So I've really been the only member of the family who had that sort of desire to, you know, explore and see the world. But I've been that way my whole life. I was say, where do you think the curious gene came from? I don't know. You know, even as a kid, I mean, my my poor mom, like even when I was like 10 years old, I figured out how to like get change off their dresser and go put it in in, in the uh, the local buses that would take me downtown. And I'm a little tiny kid, I was down there like exploring around and you know, getting a beef jerky and Coke and wandering through the mall just as a child and i just you know i've always i always wanted to just go out and see what was sort of just beyond my own environment we're gonna need a whole nother hour on free, yeah. ra free range children you know because uh, uh, when, when i was a kid like so we walkers i have a seven and a ten year old and we walked them to school like i had to like catch a bus survive the bus that it's a very different time all right look yeah. i know our 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 listeners are probably tuning in because they're they're like me. They're ravenous NFL fans. They they love the NFL. And and five years ago, you're hired, I believe, directly by the commissioner. You know, I'm very curious if you know share what you could share. What was like the interview process like? How did you? Who connected you guys? Was it like? 12 rounds with the commissioner and as a boxer, that's not a bad thing, but like, what was it like? 
Well, I mean, listen, it, it turned out to be the perfect opportunity for me. And I think in many ways, my background was was really suited for what they were looking for. It, and it didn't take very long at all. They had been looking for a CMO for, I think, over six months. And they had talked to many, many candidates. Uh, I had no idea they were looking for a CMO. Um, I had recently decided that I, you know, I'd been at Activision seven years and, you know, I love gaming, but I didn't want to spend the rest of my career as a gaming guy. So I began to sort of like, just see what was out there. I was actually talking to another potential, you know, brand to work for as a CMO and they were having, you know, I was a finalist there and they were having a hard time making a decision. And so I asked the, the headhunter at the time, well, do you know anything else? anything else interesting out there i thought yeah just maybe this nfl thing (laughs) and then when they said that i'm like are you kidding me nfl thing like what like show me the job description because i mean i'm I'm a massive football fan i grew up loving the game and playing the game so i looked at that job description i'm like i want to beat the guy over the head i'm like are you this is perfect for me this like this whole job description reads my whole background and my spirit so, you know, I said, here, let me just jot down five things you should tell the NFL of why they should meet me. And sure enough, I had an interview within a few days. I met on, on you know, on a Zoom. I met, um, I don't know, four or five uh, executives, one of whom was my first uh, boss, you know. And then after that day, they brought me to New York and I met Roger and a couple of other people. And then they offered me a job shortly after that. Like, it was just like, all it took is like a few interviews on a Zoom one day. And then the next day I came to New York to meet Roger and that was it. The universe is like a funny thing when it's like, wait a minute. It was a perfect is, match. It really was. It. Because, I mean, here's the thing. I, you know, I had a lot of brand experience building, you know, launching and building big brands, understanding, you know, uh, how to the, how to how to nurture and how to build a brand that was appealing to a variety of different segments, right? And then um, with all the car experience I had, because I not only did I work for Volvo internationally for four years, I then worked for three years for Volkswagen in North America, but I headed up their marketing there. So I had all that, but then I had seven years of youth marketing at Activision. And a lot of that was, you know, digital marketing and all the things that we had to do to connect the game to gamers outside the game, right? So a lot of work on one-to-one fan engagement, as well, again, as creating big, exciting launches, right? Where we would bring in anywhere from 20 to 25 million gamers within two weeks, right? Uh, And then the rest of the year, we just spent all of our time engaging those gamers, keeping them from churning, serving up microtransactions and extensions of the game and things like that, of which at that time when I joined, we weren't doing, right? So we almost like doubled our revenue in the time that I was there simply by really learning how and building the capabilities to, you know, have this uh, year-round gaming experience for for all of our biggest games, titles like Call of Duty, Destiny, Guitar Hero, et cetera. You know, we have a, a lot of curious listeners, which I think courage and curiosity go hand in hand. And I always say when you're in the interview process, like you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you, right? You want to make sure it's a good match. But when it's the your dream job and you're flying 3,000 miles and you're going to meet with Commissioner Goodell, do you just feel like, 
oh, I'm, I am interviewing him as well. Or I, I want this job or what was that like? Well, I think I'd heard enough from, you know, the people who I'd interviewed before to know that I had a, you know, a good opportunity to, to be successful there. Right. Like all the things that they said that they wanted to do needed to do. I felt like I had a, a good grasp on how to do that. And in fact, the, the, the sort of the strategy that I laid out during those interviews and to Roger that day is pretty much exactly what we're doing almost five years later today. I mean, you know, obviously much more robust fashion and we broaden things out and there's new things we brought to the, to the program, but in general, the core strategy and focus of what we needed to do uh, is the same as in those days. I think, you know, you gotta be careful, right? Cause you're right. Cause you, you know, when I was sitting in Roger's office, looking at all the things in his office, which right there, like a, as a fanboy, I was about to lose my <laughs> mind. And, you know, I see him walking down the hall and he coming, you know, and Roger's a big guy, like John Wayne coming into the room there. And I, you know, I, you do, you do feel a bit starstruck to see somebody like Roger Goodell walk in. Cause let's face it. He's a celebrity. He's a, he's an iconic figure in sports and entertainment. And so you have to be careful. You have to watch yourself. That you're not sort of hearing the things that you really want to hear, but you're not really carefully interviewing them as well and listening for things, whether you think you can be successful or not. Right. Because one of the things I, of course I was concerned about is that I would come into the league and not be able to do the things that I knew that they should do. Right. I thought, well, you never know. Right. I might get in here. I might be micromanaged. I might be sort of, sort of tied to like what they had done in the past, or they might say that they really wanted to, to, to do things they hadn't done before, but do they really want to do that? You always have to ask yourself that question when you're talking to a prospective new employer. You know, it, it reminds me of like a long time ago for a film company. I wrote this line. It was uh, before Steven Spielberg was Steven Spielberg. He was just Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And, you know, as Goodell comes into the office, is there something you can share now that he's like, he's not Roger Goodell, but he's, he's your coworker. He's Roger Goodell. Is there something you could share about him that the world really doesn't know about him? Well, he's, I mean, he's a very, I mean, here's the thing. Roger is sort of bigger than life. They often put him behind some, you know, some window with sitting with billionaires owners and things like that. And so you don't really see the more human uh, sensitive, complex side of Roger. And he's a very thoughtful, sensitive person. Uh, and while, you know, sure, he's, you know, he's he's a masculine figure in, in the game of professional football, but he's also a very sensitive, thoughtful person. I think that that to me, you know, the questions he asked me, um, the things that he wanted to know about gave me more and more sort of those, that level of in, sort of certainty that no he he wants what i actually think we should do like he wants what i will have to bring here right yeah. uh, he wants a more human approach to the league he wants to really connect with the younger audiences you know have a more compassionate approach toward the the marketing and that you know i thought that was terrific and i i had no idea that he would be that way that, that surprised me I have, to, I have to say i uh you know you try to be as prepared as you can for conversations like this right so yeah you know I, I try to look back at like what's really changed in the nfl over the last five years and i mean look the super bowl is now in mid-february free agency kicks off in march the draft is in the thick of late april these 
and I don't have to tell you that the NFL, maybe it felt like a five or six month season. The NFL is a year round calendar. Like yeah. I can't imagine what your marketing plan looks like. Do you get, do you actually get a break? Is there an actual slow season for you? Our breaks are maybe a few days here and a week, maybe one month and a week, two or three months later. That's it. I mean, we're, I actually, we're, we're busier uh, out of season than we are in season, believe it or not. And I, I say we, I'm not, I'm talking about the marketing department, but even a lot of my colleagues here in New York, I mean, clearly Troy Vincent and his group in football operations and some of them, you know, when they're playing throughout the season, that's a different story, but we prepare to such a degree that once the season starts, then we're just in execution mode, right? And so all the off season is you're not only sort of engaging with people on an ongoing basis around their favorite players and their favorite teams, but it's also about all the, the, the planning, the strategy, the development of all the assets that you're going to use during the season. And so there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on then. The other thing is too, that we have lots of meetings with our owners, right? Where we're, planning and talking about important things and, and voting on certain issues. And then, you know, I think, I think we've done this quite well in the marketing area. We've created things that are exciting that weren't there before, even a few years ago, like for example, the, the schedule coming out, right. They used to put the schedule out there. Well, now we create a big marketing event around the schedule release, which let's face it, you know, if you're a fan, that's really exciting. Like exactly who you're going to play when and so forth. And so, and then working carefully with the clubs to how we, get people excited and engaged and then distribute that those schedules that's you know that's become a very big marketing moment and then we create this marketing moment again as an example uh of when all the teams start to practice for the first time right during the summer like back together saturday we call it you know not the most creative name in the world but <laughs> it's pretty fun and we made a fan uh sort of act activation out of it so now all the players come back they start on the same day practicing we bring all the fans in to watch that. We have broadcast that goes to every team to sort of like throughout the day to, to see as the players come back. And we've made a big, fun marketing moment out of it. And that's, I think, you know, I like to think that we've created a marketing machine here at the NFL. And we just do everything in our power to create more exciting moments, to get fans engaged, to, you know, talk to them, yes, and, you know, and, and all the the, the media we have available to us, the broad media, but we're also getting pretty good at the one-to-one -one direct media as well in communication, you know, gathering more data, better data, understanding how, you know, to under truly how to meaningfully engage with fans on a one-to-one -one basis and then to carry on a conversation with them year round. And I think, again, that was one of the things that when I first met Roger and some of the other folks here, like I certainly learned that when I was in the gaming industry you have to engage with people year round. I, listen, I think that there is an advantage to the NFL that our season is relatively short. I think by the time we come back in end of August, September, people are just dying to see football. Uh, whereas I think the you know the leagues that have longer seasons they don't have that benefit of people really like that anticipation and that excitement of coming back the same way. But at the same time, you know, you have a lot of your fans who want that engagement year round. I think we've learned how to do that pretty well. I like this. Do you, do you actually call them marketing moments? Is that what you call them? Or is that yeah. just, okay. And then we do. And then, and then and we've also mapped out, we've done a lot of like research with some of our partners and, in, in, and with our fans for a project we call moments that matter. 
And so really like everything from getting ready to sort of watch the games and preparing, whether you're going to play fantasy or just, you know, watch your favorite teams and players or like going to the game tickets and everything, right? Like parking, you name it. Like we really like try to understand that the real total fan journey. And then we've mapped out these, you know, moments that matter. And then we've really sort of shared that across all the different disciplines here at the NFL together with our 32 clubs. Which, by the way, I should mention this. I think most people probably don't realize that, you know, those 32 clubs are also a huge part of the marketing for the NFL. Like, it's not that they're just out there selling tickets. I mean, we work with them very closely. We have a very tight partnership and relationship to where it's a collaborative partnership and we're, we really coordinate all of our activities throughout, throughout the year. And I think that's one of the things that I've also put a huge emphasis on since I've been here. You know, some, some organizations, you know, it's just, they're not very fluid. They're behemoths, but it takes like 18 months, two years, five years for decisions to be made. And I'm not sure, I'm hoping I get a real answer on this one. And I mean, you guys are meeting with the owners, is it twice a year, three times a year? Several times a year. We have committees that meet throughout the year and then we'll meet at least three times a year as a big groups. So as you think about like spreading out the marketing moments to make this a more year round you know, magic all year round in the NFL. Like take, for example, the, the the draft moving to late April. Is that something that the first moment it's posed after all this data to, to the owners, it's like, yes, let's go? Or is it something that, all right, we'll implement this two years down the line. I guess this is a long-winded way of asking like how fluid and how agile are decisions being made? Listen, they can be they can be made very quickly. Right. And I think we have a system of working here with committees and then the larger, the larger bodies. And if it, for example, if we need to have a vote before the larger meeting, we can always call a vote, of course, over the over the phone or on the Zoom. But it's it's usually much more laid out there in terms of, okay, this is what we want to do this year, this is what we're looking at doing in the next two years. We meet with committees who have specific responsibilities, like I'm Together with Pierre O'Reilly, I'm the chairman of the Fan Engagement Committee. And so we have a group of owners who are part of that committee. We have agenda items. We talk those things through. We we agree on things, get alignment. And then we take those to the larger uh, all 32 owner meetings for to present and if, and if necessary to get a vote on. And so things can actually happen quite quickly. And I think I, I've been very impressed with the way that the owners, if they if they believe that you've provided the right rationale and data points and justification for a, a decision, they'll, they'll get on board right away. Like it, it happens very quickly. Okay. I, I gotta, I gotta ask this question. Yeah. You said you're a fan growing up. Are, are you allowed to have a team anymore? You know, the answer is yes and no. And, I, and it's not, I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. Of course, we're supposed to support all 32 teams. And we cannot ever like sort of, you know, favor a team because you're a personal sort of fan of it, of any given team. At the same time, I mean, people get into sports most of the time because they're sports fans themselves. They're interested in it because they're fans themselves. So pretty much, I, I don't think I know anybody here who doesn't have a clear team and you're allowed to sort of talk about that team, have that team up in your office if you want, things like that. But again, you have to be you have to be objective. You have to be careful that that doesn't get into your decision-making. But yeah, sure, you're allowed to have a team. Okay, so you're probably not walking into an owner's meeting with like a foam finger on, anything like no. that. No, no <laughs> you're, not, you're not. You're not doing that. But like I have colleagues that everybody laughs and they know that they're 
big fans of, you know, the Packers or the Cowboys or whatever. And there's no secret around that. They make jokes around it sometime, but we're all professionals here. We all, we're, we're all supporting all 32 teams. I mean, you know, we kind of talked about how you go on this journey and you try to design a life, which I think is what marketing is, by the way. It's like design a life, stand for something. And you try to find something that you really love. Is there like a part of the job that's absolutely your favorite? You know, working with the players, I, I talked to you a little earlier about, you know, the things that I knew immediately strategically when I when I started talking to Roger and some of the people here. The first major thing was like, helmets off like it so now like we refer to it as the helmets off strategy which sounds simple but if you really think about it most of the highlights and everything that are out there players always have their helmets on and they get even after they score a touchdown they don't take their helmets off in the end zone so except for like a handful of the players historically who were you know quarterbacks and the the most talked about players in the in the media nobody knew who these guys were right they didn't even know what they looked like, much less knew who they were as human beings. So the, the the sort of the biggest strategic sort of shift that I made when I came in here is like everything's got to be helmets off. Unless it's a highlight reel, it's all helmets off. And let's let's understand, let's get to know who these players are. Let's get behind the things they care about. And that could be entertainment, that could be gaming, fashion, or fitness, or you know, anything else, or it could be causes, it could be philanthropic endeavors that they really believe they want to be involved with and they want to get behind and let's help them express themselves and, and let's help them be their voice to the outside world. And so really that helped us at the NFL have a more human, more authentic voice. Quite frankly, you know, let's face it, fans care about players and teams. They don't care about a shield, right? So having, having the players be the face of the league and to connect with people on an emotional human level had a very positive impact on the perceptions of the brand and on how much people really wanted to be a part of the NFL. And so that's a that's a long way of saying that, yeah, my favorite thing is the thing that I really focused on when I came here is like, let's get close and intimate with the players. And so I, you know, I I've gotten to know so many players and some of them I, you know, even call friends at this point and know quite well. And I Always looking with it. You knew recruits that come in for the draft. We got the draft coming up now in just a couple of weeks. It's it's just so rewarding and interesting to get to know these guys and really align with them and partner with them, earn their trust. And it's just, you know, that makes the job all the more rewarding and, and interesting. And, and there's just social media, you know, the these the screens, the amount of screens. Yeah, that are available to us to get to know these real stories and these real players and these real, not even players or people, right? And really yeah. get to know these people and what they're all about. It, it's been a wild five. I don't see it slowing down. No, storytelling around players is the secret to continuing to make the, the league and all the teams and players more relatable, uh, more relevant, continue to find sort of a uh, sort of modernity within within the league, right? And then again, like that emotional connection. I mean, look at look at the Kelsey brothers and their mom, right? Lo I love Class. it. I mean, it's a phenomena right now. I went to see Travis at Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago, right? It was so much fun. His brother was on stage as well, and like that's just a great example of like you get to know who these guys are, get to know their families and so forth, and they're just. You know, 
it just makes it there makes them so much more interesting, so much more talk worthy, and really uh, assets for our league and and uh, you know our sport. Well, you said it out earlier, but I think that's just makes them human. It's just it's right. like we're we're back to primal. And um, even yeah. when when you were discussing Commissioner Goodell or Rogers, you know, I as an outsider who's never met him, he does seem really thoughtful and really intentional and not and, and and in all the right ways i'm not here to be pandering it's called the courageous podcast but like you can see his intentionality on the way he goes about how he says what he says it's been thought out again i try to do some work for this podcast and i do i love the nfl probably like you felt the same way and there seem to be like three growth areas and you're like how is it possible to even think that the nfl could grow any bigger and but you know connecting we'll call it a, a better way of connecting and one it felt like with youth you, you know the next generation and they just watch sports differently right it's sports center was my elevator music yeah you know it was just always on so uh, you know one i, I think youth marketing and, and making sure we're, you're connecting the right way and they're gonna stick around for a, a three-hour game and beyond two i think the super bowl spot clearly was like Hey, how do we better connect with 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 women and support women in their yeah. quest to be great athletes? And then I think international, just all the places you're going. I'm sure there's more, but am I in the ballpark on these are like three core areas of focus? Absolutely. You you mentioned three, and then the international is a is an obvious. It's a four. It's 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 obvious that young people have a lot more things to do, a lot more things to get their attention than they did you know 20 years ago. You know, certainly in the last five, 10 years, it's just been an explosion of of opportunities for engagement digitally and with entertainment choices. And so that's the most obvious thing, which makes engaging youth and getting their loyalty very, very challenging today. The other thing is, is that kids just don't play sports the way they used to, right? Like the level of activity, physical activity in sports because of screens, right? There isn't the same level of sort of you can't depend on kids necessarily playing so we put a tremendous amount of focus on youth participation and and football participation right you saw a lot of things that we've been doing recently not only in youth tackle but in youth flag right i mean it's one of the fastest growing sports in this country and internationally youth flag so we're really as a league getting behind that and working together with the 32 clubs to drive these youth programs and flag, you know, girls flag in particular is a huge opportunity. We're getting flags sanctioned in high schools across the country now. We're creating playbooks of like for all 32 teams. It's like, okay, how much does it cost to get a program started in your in your local area? What are the things you need to do from an officiating perspective? You know, equipment, you know, how do you how do you contact people in your local organizations to get it going? All these things have been thought through. We've learned from the teams that have really made a lot of progress in a short amount of time. And we're really making a tremendous effort to sort of grow the game with boys and girls in grade school and, and high school throughout the country. Okay. And that's all, again, it's because it's just more difficult to sort of engage younger people today when it comes to physical activity and sports and all sports are experiencing this, which probably won't surprise you. Younger people, you know, put it this way, if you're going to be relevant, you've got to surround yourself with other younger people who just burn for all these emerging platforms and all these things that just continue on a on a daily basis to to emerge, right? So, like, 
there I I I do my best to bring in the brightest and the most sort of ambitious younger people who understand these platforms, who understand how to connect, who are really just hungry to understand what's what's coming about on a weekly basis. And then I lead them in the right direction and I unleash them. I don't tell them what to do on a, a daily basis. I wouldn't know what to tell them anyway, right? So I, I really do my best to sort of allow them to pioneer and to do things that we haven't done here before with the understanding that you have to have that level of trust and, you know, sort of, this is my mission. And that's the way that we're connecting with these younger audiences. And some of it's done through core influencers and some of it's done through developing relationships with core partners like TikTok and all the all the major platforms, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, Snapchat. So like, you know, it's some of it's through that. And then, like I said, some of it is just really through being willing to sort of take your hands off the reins to have the right people just move things forward, right? You know, we're, we're bleeding dangerously into a leadership conversation, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. right, in a good way. And, and I think often I remember... Usually you remember your best boss yeah, and you remember your not so best boss. Not, not so best boss. <laughs> not, yeah. You're not so best boss. And it, you learn what to do by watching what not to do. And so, you know, it, it always comes down to trust. I, I think it comes down to trust. So the idea of hiring somebody or people who are really good at things that you're not and giving them permission to experiment and play and learn back. I mean, you're the guardrails on this thing, right? Why is that so hard for leaders? Like, why is it just fear? I think it's fear. And I think it's like they're they're afraid they might do something which might catch somebody else's attention and then they're going to be blamed and things like that, right? And I think you can always pull back, right? You can always decide that you're going to pull back on something. And I think that if you really want the best out of people, you let them do things which they can discover and find and, you know, have a level of like recognition for what they're bringing to the company, right? To own things, right? And I think that's when teams get excited. And I'm, I like to learn this stuff, right? It's not that I'm not interested. I, I just don't have the time to sort of learn about these things on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not always surrounded by the people that they are. So I get involved myself. I, I, I ask a lot of questions I learn things all the time. People are saying, well, you know, you don't know so-and-so? Like, no, I don't. Tell them about, tell me about them, you know, because I want to know. And so it's fun for me because I'm constantly exploring. And then, of course, I may have thoughts and ideas on how we can further leverage an opportunity or for, further leverage a relationship and say, hey, that thing that you're doing right now, let's do it times 10. I'm like, that's that's a huge opportunity. That's a big idea. Let's really like grow that thing. Which obviously that also gets, you know, individuals and teams excited when suddenly something they're doing, you get so excited about that you want to put even more resources into it and want to want to make it even bigger program. I mean, this is a pull the Ryan Bourbon string line, so I'll I'll acknowledge that out of the gate. But I've always said every single time I've had a team work on a courageous idea, yeah. they're ha they're happier, they stay later, and the idea, the return is through the roof. And Every time it's a safe idea, my office was empty at 4.59. I had a closed-door meeting with somebody. Right. Guess what? The return was, was was mediocre. We always say courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. And, you know, you think about the NFL. Is there a, a brave move? Like, what was the bravest, the most courageous move you've seen the NFL 
make to date since you've been on this rocket ship? And by the way, it might have been an unpopular choice, but was the right choice. I'm curious if there's one that stands out. Well, there's probably one, but it's connected to a lot of other things or strategy that we've we've been doing over the last few years. So Carl Nassib, who was the first gay player to come out a couple of years ago, it was a big event, right? And and I, I felt when I when I saw that, I felt like, you know what, this is this is a moment. This is a moment we should just like let pass, right? And so I I talked to our team, I talked to our ad agency. I said, I want to do something that really like is is something that people will pay attention to and get excited about. And and it really is it 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 fits the 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 incredibly courageous thing that Carl just did. And so we didn't have a lot of time because we wanted to launch it really soon after he came out. And the agency came back with an ad that started out with football is gay. And then it continued on football is lesbian, football is transsexual. So it, like it had all these things. It was all about inclusion, right? It was all about football is for everyone. And um, it was very, very powerful. And I knew that it would be controversial to people within, you know, our fan base, you know, people within the the league and the clubs and things like that, uh, and even players, right? And, and I, I knew that, but I also knew that it would had such a huge impact on those in the LBGQT plus community. It would be so meaningful. And it would also send such a clear signal that the NFL really stood for inclusion and, and equality, right? And stood for this community. And I think that by making such a bold statement that it would be crystal clear to people. And there were lots of folks who came to me and said, well, okay, but can't we soften it? Do you have to start with that line? Football is gay. Can't you start with football is, you know, is happy or for everyone or things like that. I'm like, no, then you kill the entire bold nature and the clear stance that we're taking on this thing. And so, and I, so I say all that because that was a very, very sort of bold move. And I didn't tell everybody about it. I only told a handful of people who I knew were close and who this would be very meaningful to. And I just ran it. And then, yeah, sure enough, a lot of people absolutely loved it. It was very much talked about. And there were a lot of people that did not like it at all. And they, you know, I heard about it. And they and people asking, well, what are we going to do? Because there, there are those who don't really, they don't like this. They don't buy into it. And I, and I thought about it and I said, well, let's just run it again. Let's just keep running it. Because the more we run it, the more normalized it will become and the more people won't be so shocked about it. And that's at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do here. It's all about equality and it's all about people feeling comfortable and feeling accepted. And the more that we talk about these things, the better we're all going to be off. So that's exactly what we did. We ran it during kickoff. We ran it during the season. We ran it in big moments and so forth. And I think, so I say all that because listen, after, particularly after the pandemic hit, you know, during those early months of the pandemic, there was a string of senseless murders right around George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and, and several others that we just realized, hey, you know, we gotta we gotta do more, right? We can do more. We have to do more. We have to be clear. Yes, we have a lot of incredible programs that we're working with all these partners. We're donating, you know, a half a billion dollars a year to these programs, but we have to put it all together. We have to talk about it. We have to have a clear stance. We cannot be on the fence. We can't sort of say, oh, well, yes, we have a, a fan base, which is 
split between right and left. And yes, some of our fan base thinks this is politics and not football, and they don't like us talking about it. But we have to we have to be clear on what we stand for that is accordance to our values, and we cannot try to please everybody. We got to like do the things that we know is right. And so we began to put together a program around social justice that was much more consistent. We talked about it throughout the year. We were much more clear in the, in the things that we were saying. And all this these programs that actually had been going on for several years, people became more, they became more aware of them. It began to connect more with the NFL. And sure enough, I think we had, you know, pretty significant impact in this space. And, and to this day, we're still talking about it. And we've also decided for the first time, we decided to talk about mental health and like have players talk about their own struggles and coaches talk about their own struggles. And so talking about these very sensitive, complex, and to some, to some controversial subjects, talking about these things in a very clear, consistent way without backing off and without sort of, you know, trying to hedge our approach to it to where people wouldn't get upset. I think that, you know, it's a long way of answering your question. It's been a very, I would say, a very courageous move by the NFL to sort of not to listen to everybody, but to do the things that they thought were right. Well, and frankly, let me just mention one other thing. We made some mistakes as a league. We made some mistakes post Colin Kaepernick and, you know, things that we just, the commissioner Roger said himself, like I, if I could go back with Eric Reed and with, with, with Colin and all these, I would do things differently. And like talking about that openly, showing a level of contrition and like openness and I think being humble actually went a long way with a lot of people. And I think that's, again, it's, it's you know, not every company's willing to do that, right? Not every company's willing to admit mistakes. And I think those are also things that I see at least as, you know, having the the courage to, to, to move ahead. I mean, I don't see any companies, if you don't have humanity at the top, in the yeah. leader is that then fear really does win and and you know i think it's very easy for us out here to look at the nfl and think about it which you can see my hands like seventy thousand people in a stadium this bmith but like when you just get down and serve the player who's a human they're not a player yeah. they're a human right as you said just tell the stories of the humans that just happen to wear a uniform they happen to be gay. They happen to have a mental health issue. They happen to have something going on in the, in the equality arena. Yeah. And if you serve the player, it's probably going to, there's enough players now that it, it's a pretty good melting pot of what's going out there in society. And if we've learned anything and to your point, this isn't about politics, but it is about getting things done. And the NFL is its own nation. There yeah. are, there are citizens, there's a flag and I'm glad you're taking a stand, and I agree with you that, you know, better to have a point of view than no point of view. That's right. Take yeah. it so, man. I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I, I appreciate you giving me 45 minutes of your time. It, like, yeah. for anyone anyone who's listening, you know, you can wrap this up any way you want, but, like, two or three pieces of advice for someone that might be, maybe they're stuck or they're scared or, you know, they're spinning in their job. What What advice would you give them? I, listen, I, I've always trusted my gut on things. You know, you have instincts and you say like, you know, if you're in a job, which is not going the direction that you want it to, I think, you know, you know that it's probably time to sort of do something different or move on. And then sure, that could be scary. 
But wow, you know, putting yourself, making that decision to sort of go do something different and create something different, meet new people, have opportunities to sort of do things you haven't done before. Man, it just like, it makes you, it just gets you so energetic and excited and, you, you know, all these sort of creative juices and thoughts come into you that you haven't, you know, sort of maybe had before for a long time. And I think being willing, like when I, when I decided to leave, which it was a great place to work, by the way, I love working for Goodby Sylvia Center Partners. They were an amazing agency, but deciding to move off and then go to this sort of foreign country and go to some agency where I didn't know anybody or leave the gaming world after seven years and then go work in sports where, you know, I didn't know. I I had no idea exactly what was going to happen when I got over here. Those are like hard decisions to make. But on the other hand, man, you know, if you if you really sort of trust yourself, trust your instincts and go for it, the chances of you being successful are so much higher. And and I, I the other thing I would say is like, you know, so many of the people who work in this industry are always trying not to get fired, right? They're always trying the average, the average tenure of a CMO, for example, is like 18 months or two years. It's ridiculous. Right. And I think the, one thing, one of the reasons for that is, is that you're just not, you're always working to sort of cover your, cover your ass and like make sure that you somehow prove that what you did, you know, wasn't a, wasn't a mistake or things like that, rather than doing what you think is really right and going out there and trying to like break new ground and do things that haven't been done before, right? Or like do the things you were paid to do, which is to move the brand forward and move the business forward. And I think, you know, I, I have put a tremendous amount of effort into building great teams and building relationships. So the team, some of these teams work for me, like meaning like on the marketing team and then in groups, which, you know, they don't report into me, but I have a very strong uh, sort of partnership with these teams and that could be if here I work today, that could be here at the NFL, that could be the 32 teams, or it could be a partnership that I form with an influencer or a media platform or whatever. But I sort of I'm I I think I'm pretty damn good at building strong teams and getting that level of trust and partnership and a common vision, right? A vision to do great things, a vision that of like things that haven't been done before. And then giving credit to all those people who have done these things, right? And I think that this is what happens when you build a strong team like that across organizations, then you build trust. And anytime things maybe aren't going exactly the right way or whether there's a question, whether there's a mistake made or whatever, people aren't looking to kill you. They're looking to help you. They're looking to sort of support you because they trust you and they value you. So I think you know building those strong partnerships and coalitions and at the same time, not worrying about making mistakes, but thinking more about doing the right things and doing the things that you were paid to do at the end of the day. That's why I've had very long tenures everywhere I've worked. You know, I've anywhere from three to seven years everywhere I've worked. Also, th I think why I've had a level of success in my career. Well, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Hopefully you get like a day and a half break before the draft <laughs> and stay courageous out there, man. Great to see you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. See you again next week.